2 Chronicles 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did that which was right in Yahweh's eyes, according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of Yahweh's house and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the wide place on the east and said to them, Listen to me, you Levites. Now sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of Yahweh, the God of your fathers, and carry the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers were unfaithful and have done that which was evil in Yahweh our God's sight, and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of Yahweh and turned their backs. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, Yahweh's wrath was on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has delivered them to be tossed back and forth, to be an astonishment and a hissing, as you see with your eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with Yahweh, the God of Israel, that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, don't be negligent now, for Yahweh has chosen you to stand before him to minister to him, and that you should be his ministers and burn incense. Then the Levites arose, Mahath the son of Amasai, and Joel the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, and of the sons of Merari, Kish the son of Abdi, and Azariah the son of Jehalalel, and of the Gershonites, Joah the son of Zimmah, and Eden the son of Joah, and of the sons of Elisaphan, Shimri and Jewel, of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah and Mataniah and of the sons of Heman, Jehuel and Shimei, and of the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaiah and Uziel. They gathered their brothers, sanctified themselves, and went in, according to the commandment of the king by Yahweh's words, to cleanse Yahweh's house. The priests went into the inner part of Yahweh's house to cleanse it, and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in Yahweh's house, into the court of Yahweh's house. The Levites took it from there to carry it out to the brook Kidron, now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify, and on the eighth day of the month they came to Yahweh's porch. They sanctified Yahweh's house in eight days, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. Then they went into Hezekiah the king within the palace and said, We have cleansed all Yahweh's house, including the altar of burnt offering, with all its vessels, and the table of showbread with all its vessels. Moreover, we have prepared and sanctified all the vessels, which King Ahaz threw away in his reign when he was unfaithful. Behold, they are before Yahweh's altar. Then Hezekiah the king arose early, gathered the princes of the city, and went up to Yahweh's house. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. He commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on Yahweh's altar. So they killed the bulls, and the priest received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. They killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They brought near the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. Then the priests killed them, and they made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. 
For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. He set the Levites in Yahweh's house with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. For the commandment was from Yahweh by his prophets. The Levites stood with David's instruments, and the priests with the trumpets. Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, Yahweh's song also began, along with the trumpets and instruments of David, king of Israel. All the assembly worshipped, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praises to Yahweh with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. They sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Then Hezekiah answered, Now you have consecrated yourself to Yahweh. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into Yahweh's house. The assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. The number of burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to Yahweh. The consecrated things were 600 head of cattle and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few, so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priests. Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance, with the fat of the peace offerings and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of Yahweh's house was set in order. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because of that, which God had prepared for the people, for the thing was done suddenly. So we've just, in the last chapter, we talked about King Ahaz, and he was Hezekiah's dad, who um, worshipped gods from all these different nations, including as far away as Assyria, because he felt so desperate, he felt like what he was doing wasn't good enough. He felt peer pressure. He felt that the other gods were better. He felt lots of things. And um, so the, the nation uh, descended into this terrible, terrible place. It was so terrible that in this chapter, when Hezekiah becomes king, the first thing he does as king is gets the temple back and up, up and working again. The temple was actually closed up. And so he gets the temple opened. He gets the temple cleansed. He gets the temple ritually cleansed, you know, with the ceremonies they do to cleanse it. And then he gets everything functioning again. The worship with the songs of David and of Asaph. Well, that's the Psalms. You get the Psalms being sung again. And so he, it's his first act. But what it shows us is his dad, the temple was closed. And um, so that's terrible. Now, in the last chapter, we read that Ahaz made his sons to pass through the fire in, um, in uh, basically that means he, he offered his children as sacrifices to other gods. So Hezekiah becomes king, but he's someone who has seen his siblings be offered as sacrifices. Now, maybe they were his older siblings and he didn't see it, but he's someone who's grown up with an awareness that his dad is offering his brothers and his sisters to other gods as sacrifices. 
And that's one of the reasons why God hated these other religions, because they would sacrifice their own children. And it was this is why the Bible says that these other gods were an abomination. Now, the Lord is a jealous God, so he um, there's a th- such a thing as a good jealousy. There are no actual other gods, but the things that portray themselves as gods all through the Old Testament are demons. And um, the, the affection of people, when they go after these other gods, they're going after demons and not realizing it, and it's no wonder the Lord is jealous because people are putting their faith in something that's, that, is, that they don't even know that, that those, those demons actually intend to harm, whereas the Lord intends good. He's jealous, but it's a good jealousy because he wants the love and affection of people because he wants good for them. And so when, when people turn their affections elsewhere, the Lord is, is grieved and concerned, but it's not a selfish grieving and a selfish concern. It's not a case of, I'm the best and why don't they worship me? It's not like that. <laughs> it's, although you know, it can seem like that if, you, if you're not a believer and you're looking at the Bible, they do jump to that conclusion. But no, it's the case that the Lord has such a heart for people. He knows that when they follow him, the best is going to come to them. And he wants what's best for people. And therefore, he wants them to follow him. And um, so this is the reason why he calls the worship of these other gods abominations, because it's so harmful, so destructive. They were actually giving their own children as sacrifices. So you could say that King Hezekiah is a lucky kid. For him to make it through and become king... Thank God, and thank God it was he became a good king. And who knows how that happened? I often wonder, you know, growing up in a house with such evil all around you, how do you turn out so good? Well, the grace of the Lord must have been on this man because he had such a clarity of mind. To, to As soon as he becomes king, the first thing he does is we're getting this nation back on track to follow Yahweh. I don't know where that clarity of mind came from. No doubt the Lord was responsible for putting it there. And um, so on the topic of sacrificing your children, which Ahaz did, there's, I've got a couple of thoughts. The first thought is that it still goes on today. So we think, oh, people um, used to sacrifice their children back then, but thank God they don't do it anymore. No, they still do. What, what was the reason why someone like King Ahaz and other people in ancient times would sacrifice their children? Why would they do that? Well, the reason they would do that is because they had a belief that said that, first of all, they, they believed that children were valuable. At least in the Middle East, they believed, especially sons. They believed sons were valuable. You wanted to have as many of them as you could because it was a form of wealth. You know, these sons would grow up. They would help you. They would fight for you. They would work in the harvest field. So you wanted many of them. So the reason you would kill one, or sometimes you'd kill several of them, is because by sacrificing a son, you believed that you were pleasing the gods and then they would bless you so that you would have even more children than what you would have had before and your crops and everything else would be even better. So there was a belief that says, by giving up my children, life's going to be better for me. So they think um, that basically it's a life enhancement strategy. Well, today... All around the world, millions and millions of children are aborted every single year, and it all has to do with life enhancement. So um, you might, uh, it might be a young teenager that gets pregnant accidentally. It's a great tragedy. That wasn't supposed to happen. And yet the advice that comes to them is, 
if you go ahead and have this child, your life will be ruined. So the child is sacrificed because apparently their life will be ruined. Their life will be no good if they have this child, so it's all about their life being better. So if you've had an abortion and you're watching my video, uh, I don't mean to cause you any harm. And um, so, um, you know, I certainly don't, don't want you to feel bad. Um, I'm just commenting on the fact that that is so often the reason for an abortion is all about life enhancement. So even though the sacrificing of children now is, is done in a very different way to in ancient times, it all comes down to the same idea. The idea of my life will be better off if I don't have this child. So it's a very, very sad thing. And, um, and I think if, if you're someone that's had an abortion or you, you've married to someone who's had an abortion or you, you've, um, you know, it's something in your past or it's something you're contemplating, the answer to this is, of course, Jesus Christ and the gospel. And you need to go to him. He'll forgive. He'll pour his love out on you. He'll receive your repentance. He'll help you in the future. Uh, with future challenging situations like that or different to that. So the answer is always going to the Lord. But that is something that Ahaz, King Ahaz of the last chapter did not do. He did not go to the Lord. But when we come to King Hezekiah in this chapter, what's the first thing he does? He goes straight to the Lord. Now on the topic of child sacrifice, there's one more point that needs to be made. That there is someone who gave his son that you and I might live, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, our Father in heaven, he gave us his one and only Son, this is John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Here's a God who sacrificed his Son for us, but it was not about life enhancement. <laughs> he wasn't doing it for him. He was doing it for us. And he also had a, a method in place for his Son to be raised back to life. So the sacrifice of God if sacrificing his own son is completely different to the child sacrifices of ancient times or completely different to abortion. But it's something that's done with a right motivation and a right heart and ultimately with the awareness of knowing that he was getting back his son, he wasn't losing him. Completely different. So Hezekiah comes along, he has such clarity from the Lord, he knows he's got to restore everything and he does. Within 16 days, they got that temple all cleared out. They got all the junk out of there. They took it down to the, the Kidron Brook. It was all destroyed outside the town. And then they begin a process of national repentance. And it's said here that they celebrated the Passover and everyone rejoiced. So then you know what that tells me. It tells me that the hearts of people were in this. They were glad to get things sorted out. You know, this, there's nothing quite as wonderful as when you've had a problem, especially if it's been a long-running problem, as getting it sorted out. <laughs> getting the weight off your chest, going to someone and saying, I've struggled with this and I just am done with it. Getting the weight off your chest, sharing it with someone, overcoming the shame, being forgiven, such a good feeling. And here, it's happening at a national level. They're putting behind them the gods of the other nations. They're putting the Lord first. It's no wonder they rejoiced. It just felt right to do things properly. So if there are things in your life that are just lingering, dragging you down, holding you back, it's time <laughs> to get them sorted out, just like Hezekiah did here, and get that feeling of rejoicing back into your heart to get back before the Lord with a clean heart and a pure conscience and know that you're loved. So Lord, we come before you. We ask for grace for repentance for all my listeners. Carry them into the place
where they can know you deeply and put behind them the sins of the past. Lord, I ask you to fill them with your spirit and may they find rejoicing. In Jesus' name, amen.